Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. The tragic events that took place in our nation's capital this past week pushed me to the scriptures in order to get the mind of Christ on what's happening in our country. Now, before I share what I found in the Word, I'd like you to take a few moments with me to imagine what it would be like to live in a country with a political leader like this. His mother poisons her second husband, murders the wife of the current leader, marries him, who happens to be her uncle, and then persuades her new husband to make her son next in line to the throne. This woman is then suspected of poisoning her third husband so that her son can replace him on the throne at the age of 17. Despite rising to power as a result of his mother's nefarious ways, this young man does a lot of good for the nation including reducing taxes, allowing slaves to bring civil complaints about their unjust masters, and providing financial assistance to cities that had suffered natural disasters, much like FEMA does here in the United States. Now, as this leader's fame and power grew, so did his hatred for Christians. His nation viewed Christians as atheists because they did not worship the gods of Roman Greece. They viewed them as cannibals because they claimed to eat the body of Christ and to drink his blood. Obviously, a reference to the Lord's Supper. And they also viewed Christians as incestuous because believers referred to themselves as brothers and sisters and said, I love you to each other. So this political leader's hatred of Christ followers did not stop here. Uh, He was known for burning Christians at the stake in order to light his gardens at night feeding them to wild animals for entertainment, and sewing them in burlap bags before throwing them into the ocean to drown. In addition to killing the mother who helped him rise to power and his first wife, this sadistic leader ordered the setting of a massive fire in his capital city in order to make room for a new palace that he wanted to build. Needing a scapegoat for his wicked scheme, he publicly blamed Christians for setting the fire and then offered generous financial assistance to his citizens who had lost their homes in order to look like a hero. Now let's pause the video and I'd like you to talk about this discussion question for a moment. And that is, what would it have been like to be a Christian living in a nation led by a leader like this? And would you still claim to be a Christ follower in a nation where believers were treated like this? Talk about that for a moment, and I'll be right back. After pondering this question, you would be right in saying that living in such a country would make you anxious, fearful, or afraid to express your faith. But despite this, I hope we all would remain firm in our biblical convictions and bold in professing our faith. 
I mean, Jesus himself said, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Well, the leader I was referring to just a few moments ago was none other than Nero, the emperor of the Roman Empire from 54 to 68 AD. Nero was not only one of the most wicked men to have ever ruled the Roman Empire, he was also the inspiration for the New Testament letter of 1 Peter. Now, before we look at this powerfully encouraging letter together, let's begin with a word of prayer. Would you join me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the timeless truth contained in your word and how it has comforted millions of believers in church history who were living in difficult times. Would you please teach us your word over the next few minutes and give us the understanding we need so that we can apply it to our lives. We need your help knowing how we should think and live in the changing culture around us. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, before we dive into the text, I just wanted to give you a heads up. This video is going to be a little longer than usual because the things I've been seeing on the news this past year need a thorough treatment from the scriptures. I want to encourage you to watch this entire video and to take notes using the PDF handout I've provided on our website. And if you need to take a break halfway through, that's certainly fine. I'm also going to do something I rarely do, and that is I'm going to make some comments about the political climate in which we are now living. In fact, I think this will be the first time in my ministry that I've publicly commented in this much detail on politics. I feel compelled to do so because I am seeing things in our nation's politics and behavior from too many professing believers that I've never seen before. Thus, I'm going to be bolder today than I usually am when I teach because I think recent events warrant it. Now, please hear my heart here. My intent is not, it's not to offend you because I love being controversial, but rather my intent is to equip you for the days ahead and to glorify God in the present by teaching His Word. Now, let me just say that the claims of President Trump that the November election was stolen from him without producing any credible evidence is shameful and has been harmful to our country. And I'm saying this despite the fact that I voted for the man because of his policies in spite of his serious character flaws. And I'm also saying this without dismissing the fact that God used President Trump to do some good things for our nation during his term. However, the rally that President Trump held on the day the election was to be certified by Congress was unprecedented and uncalled for. And the ensuing riot by Trump's supporters and those who were holding Jesus Save signs 
was despicable and not pleasing to the Lord. In fact, it was just as harmful and unjustified as the BLM riots last summer. Protesting is fine, but violence and looting and theft are sins no matter how wrong a group feels they've been treated. And the justification by both parties for their own riots and the condemnation of the other party's riots is simply hypocritical. The events of this past year reveal that neither Democrats or Republicans are wholly pleasing to God, and both are guilty of idolatry. They reveal that our nation is spiritually spiraling downward quickly. Now, this is where 1 Peter comes in. Written by the apostle bearing the same name, this letter was penned in late 64 to 65 A.D., just months after Nero set fire to Rome and then blamed it on Christians. In light of the mounting persecution against believers in the Roman Empire at the time, Peter wrote this letter to provide comfort, sound doctrine, and practical application for those living in a time when it was life-threatening to be a Christ follower. In other words, 1 Peter contains a warehouse of encouraging truth for believers living in an anti-Christian culture. Not only does this letter contain helpful reminders we needed to apply the past four years, it also contains priceless counsel we will need in the next four years as a new administration implements new laws that violate God's Word, and they've promised to do so. First Peter answers the question, how are Christ followers supposed to live in a culture that is becoming more and more hostile to God's Word and His people? Now let's look together at the text. Please follow along with me as I read from 1 Peter chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses 3 through 6 and then 8 through 9. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Now verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him, you believe in Him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. All right, here's number one on your outline. The first truth that Peter is giving us and was giving his audience, his readers, in first century Rome, or excuse me, in the first century Roman Empire, and it's this. We should hope for eternity with Jesus instead of a better life here on earth. We should hope for eternity with Jesus instead of a better life here on earth. Now, please remember that context is king 
when we're studying God's Word. Thus, as I mentioned earlier, we need to remember who Peter is writing to and where they are. They are in a far worse situation than we are at this point in our country. It's critical that we notice the hope Peter is pointing us to is not the fulfillment of our dreams here on earth, getting married, having children, raising well-behaved children, having grandchildren, financial success, getting healed of our physical ailments, receiving a bigger house or promotion, retirement, or having our favorite political party in the White House or controlling the Senate. Instead, he tells his readers and us to look forward to an inheritance kept in heaven for you. That's in verse 4. And the salvation of our souls in verse 9. Why? Because so long as sin and the evil one reign on this earth, there will always be pain, conflict, and suffering. In fact, I can tell you that after years of preaching through the New Testament letters, one repeated theme, an overarching theme in all of them, is that our hope should only be in eternity, not in a better life here on earth. Too many Christians fail to grasp this from the scriptures and in turn live their lives continually disappointed that the Lord didn't give them heaven on earth. Well, next, I'd like to show you another truth from 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you would just turn the page there and I'll read verses 1 through 3. Peter writes, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the spiritual, excuse me, the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. All right, here's number two on your outline. The second thing that Peter's telling us, and that is we need to feed on the Word of God so that you grow spiritually, or so that we grow spiritually. We need to feed on the Word of God so that we grow spiritually. The Apostle uses a word picture in verse 2 that we can all understand. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk. If you've ever had a baby or a baby brother or sister or grandbabies, then you've no doubt noticed that if they are not sleeping, they are hungry. And they are hungry because the Lord has given them the natural desire to grow. And in the same manner, those who have sincerely repented of their sins and trusted in Christ alone for their salvation will naturally hunger for God's Word. In fact, the connection between salvation and an appetite for God's Word is so clear that Peter says in verse 3, you can see it there in your own Bible, that if indeed you have tasted, the Lord is good, implying that if you have no appetite for God's Word, then you may not be born again, because born-again believers hunger for God's Word. Verses 2 and 3 here in chapter 2, 
They show us that just as milk provides nourishment for an infant's body, God's Word provides nourishment for our souls. And just as failing to feed an infant would starve his or her body, failing to feed on God's Word regularly starves our souls. But why? Why should we hunger for God's Word? Well, because the Scriptures are the only thing that can help us maintain our faith and survive in a dark world. Because we've also been called to be holy, just as He is holy. Peter says that in chapter 1, verses 15 to 16. And because holiness strengthens our witness. He says that in chapter 2, verse 12, verse 15, and chapter 3, verse 15. And because we are not called to be Democrats or Republicans, but rather ambassadors for Christ living in a foreign land. We're supposed to care more about the kingdom than we do our country. And one is eternal and the other is temporal. And learning God's word will help us do all these things and more. See, our country, it doesn't need more nominal Christians. It needs more mature Christians who aren't ashamed of the gospel. Okay, let's look back at the text again in chapter 2. And I'm going to read from verses 11 and 12. Peter writes, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles honorable, so that they speak when they speak against you, excuse me, as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. All right, here's number three on your outline. The third thing that Peter's telling us, the third truth, and that is we need to make heaven our permanent home. Please notice the words sojourners and exiles in verse 11. This is very important. The Greek word for sojourners used here refers to an alien or foreigner living somewhere without citizenship. Exiles comes from the Greek word for a stranger who moves into a foreign country to live beside the natives. Peter calls believers exiles in chapter 1, verse 1, and in chapter 1, verse 17 as well. And this should be as comforting to us as it was to his readers, because it means that this world is not our home. And any persecution we receive here is only temporary. Thus, Christ followers are called to live here on earth with a temporary mindset and certain level of detachment, because we're just passing through. So, when we see horrific things on the news, like we did this past Wednesday, the gospel enables us to say, Oh, thank you, Lord, that this is only temporary and that life at home with you will be forever. The gospel also should prompt us to humbly pray as we watch the news, Lord, please help these people to see what they're fighting for is temporary and save them from their sin just like you did me. Next, let's look at chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 13 to 17. Please follow along with me, starting in verse 13. 
Peter says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. All right, here's the fourth truth in your outline, and it's this. Submission to earthly authority demonstrates trust in heavenly authority. When Peter says to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, does that mean Peter's readers were supposed to submit to the wicked Nero? Yes. And does that mean we have to submit to law enforcement officers even if we think they are wrong or corrupt? Yep. And does that mean the President of the United States is supposed to submit himself to the Constitution even if he doesn't like what it says? Yep. The only exemption given in God's Word for Christians from submitting to authority is if the authority asks us to sin. However, we must be careful to distinguish between what the Bible calls sin versus something we just don't like. Forcing Christians to commit abortions, marrying gay couples, or renouncing our faith is sin. But raising taxes and decreasing military spending and increasing social programs is not. Now let's pause the video again, and I'd like you to talk about this next discussion question. What excuses do we sometimes come up with so we don't have to submit to the authorities God has placed in our lives? Talk about that for a moment, and I'll be right back. I'm sure you came up with some good uh, answers. It's more often than not, I find the reasons that we come up with are nowhere to be found in Scripture, or they require us to stretch Scripture beyond its intended meaning in order to justify our unsubmissiveness. Now, does that mean that when Peter says we're supposed to honor everyone, fear God, and honor the emperor, that we're supposed to honor the people we voted against in the election? Yep. Does that mean I can at least complain about them on social media? Well, let me answer that question with a question. Is complaining about someone honoring them? I don't think so. One of the many reasons Peter makes this point is because Christianity was never intended to be an insurrectionist movement. There are multiple examples throughout the Gospels in which the Jews and the disciples wanted Jesus to overthrow the Roman Empire and establish his kingdom right then and right there. But he wouldn't do it. 
And he wouldn't do it because that wasn't the purpose in his coming. And it wasn't the timing his father intended. Next, let's look at chapter 2 again. I'm going to read verses 20 to 23. Please follow along with me. Peter writes, For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. And by his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I forgot to mention, I wanted to read through verse 25 there. But here's the fifth truth on your outline. Injustices must be entrusted to the Lord. Injustices must be entrusted to the Lord. You see, even if, 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 there was widespread voter fraud, as President Trump and some Republicans and many Christians claim. The God-honoring response is not revolt. Just as the Old Testament law instructed the people of Israel, and just as the New Testament instructs the church regarding church discipline, if sin has occurred, evidence must be produced, witnesses should be called, and those in authority should make a fair ruling. And if you look closely at verses 21 to 25, you'll notice that Peter is referencing the greatest injustice in world history. God's sinless and perfect Son was falsely accused and crucified for the sins of the world. And yet, Jesus knew that being treated unjustly did not give him the right to sin. It says it in verse 22, that he committed no sin. And Jesus knew that he, he was not to seek revenge. It says in verse 23, he did not revile and return or threaten. Instead, he entrusted, he trusted his father, excuse me, would make things right in the end. And we should all remember that the greatest injustice also created the greatest gift forgiveness, and eternal life for those who would trust in Christ. In other words, the gospel reminds us that God can bring good out of any injustice. And this means that no sincere Christian should condone what happened at our nation's capital this past week, and every sincere Christian should condemn it. Injustices that cannot be righted peacefully here on earth must be entrusted to the Lord. That is what the scriptures teach. Well, for our last point, let's look at chapter 4. If you would just turn the page to chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 12 to 16. Peter writes, Beloved, 
Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Okay, let me stop there. Here's the final point in your outline. The sixth truth that Peter tells us on how to survive living in an anti-Christian culture. And that is, persecution is a blessing that glorifies God and prepares us for home. Notice how Peter tells his readers and us that we should not be surprised when we face trials or suffering here on earth. Instead, we should rejoice that we get to share in Christ's sufferings. Now, why on earth would we rejoice? Well, Peter answers that question in the text. Because suffering for Christ means the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. What? Are you kidding me? Did you pick up on what the apostle is saying here? One of the proofs that you are filled with the Holy Spirit is your willingness to suffer for the gospel. Dear loved ones, that is absolutely contrary to what a lot of churches are teaching these days. Now, I need to make an important clarification here. Peter is not talking about suffering that is a result of the fall, such as health problems, betrayals, the death of a loved one, divorce, etc. Instead, He's specifically referring to persecution. That's a different kind of suffering. I like to define persecution as direct opposition to your gospel witness that results in financial loss, physical harm, or relational rejection. Some of you have experienced this because of your faith. Thus, these verses should encourage you. Others of you have not experienced this. You've not experienced persecution. Thus, these verses, along with the changing culture in our country, should warn you that persecution is coming. And when it does, it will either refine your faith or it will reveal you don't have the faith. What many Christians don't realize is that the call to follow Christ is also a call to suffer for Him. That's biblical Christianity. However, once again, the Lord is still able to bring good out of persecution. This is perfectly illustrated by the great Puritan preacher Thomas Watson, who wrote this, Afflictions work for good as they are the means of loosening our hearts from the world. When you dig away the earth from the root of a tree, It is to loosen the tree from the earth. And so God digs away our earthly comforts to loosen our hearts from the earth. A thorn grows up with every flower. God would have the world 
hang as a loose tooth, which being twitched away, does not much trouble us. Thomas Watson. Wow, what great metaphors Watson used there. It's just one of the reasons I'm a fan of his. Well, so what do we do now? Well, we do not fret that the spiritual climate is changing in our country. We do not become more like the world so that we can be accepted by them. Instead, we trust that the Lord is working all things together for good in our generation, just as He has in previous generations. And we remember, just as David wrote in Psalm 37, that evildoers will soon fade like grass. They will be cut off by the Lord and that the Lord laughs at the wicked because their day of judgment is coming. Well, I leave you with this question. If the first century believers that Peter was writing to could be fearless under the wicked emperor Nero, do you think we could be fearless as well in the 21st century United States? I think we can. And the Lord calls us to be that way, and He promises to help us when we are. If you'd like to hear more teaching on these issues from a Christian worldview, I highly recommend a podcast called The Briefing by Dr. Al Mohler. I subscribe to it, and I occasionally listen to it, and I always learn a lot. Dr. Moeller is the president of the Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and he's a brilliant theologian. His daily podcast features well-researched and biblical commentary on recent events and cultural trends in our country. I listen to this podcast periodically, as I mentioned, and I always learn a ton. I play it sometimes when I'm getting ready in the morning or when I'm exercising or driving in my car. It helps me think biblically and from a Christian worldview about what I'm seeing on the news. And it helps me think even better than Fox News does, to be honest. Well, after this video ends, I want to encourage you to spend some time in prayer for our nation and for our church. Please pray for law and order and the fear of God to be restored in our nation. And pray for the Lord to open a temporary place for us to safely worship while Freedom Middle School is closed. As always, thanks for tuning in. And if you're watching on YouTube, please hit that like button, subscribe to our channel, and share this video with someone you think would benefit from it. Until I see you again, keep walking with the Lord, stay in His Word, and wait patiently for Him to move. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.